0: you're listening to earth matters on the community radio network environmental justice stories from australia and around the world usually produced at the studios of 3cr on wurundjeri country and today from isolation in my home on wurundjeri country in melbourne i'm m gafer
1: important to remember that the biodiversity in an environment is directly proportional to the health of the community, the human population in that area. So in fact, you know, we're dealing with human health, but environmental health is directly um, proportional and related to human health, and the two should work together.
0: The right to safe drinking water has been recognised on an international level as being fundamental. In Australia, access to clean drinking water is something people living in cities don't think twice about. Every day we turn on the tap and water runs out. But is our drinking water as safe as we assume? Many regional towns across Australia are facing a drinking water crisis with increased droughts and issues with contamination of their water supply. Towns such as Hamilton, Dunderabin, Laramba and Seduna have registered high breaches to Australian drinking water guidelines for toxic substances such as aluminium, pesticides, uranium and trihalomethanes. Anthony Amos from Friends of the Earth has been compiling information on drinking water and his map tells a more nuanced story about drinking water supply across the continent.
2: My my title is a land use researcher at Friends of the Earth so I've been worried about issues like pesticide contamination and such as um, issues such as that, but in, uh, increasingly over the last few years, I've been focusing on water impacts on water and then um, drinking water.
0: Most people think drinking water in Australia is safe, clean, and secure. I think a lot of people take it for granted. So, how would you respond to that?
2: Uh, well, well, generally, I'd I'd agree with that, um, but it depends where you live. Um, a lot of the infrastructure set up for, to provide safe drinking water is in the cities, but generally if you go uh, out into rural regions where the resources aren't so great and the population centres aren't so high, then um, there's all sorts of issues that come up from time to time. Um, the other problem with those small uh, rural communities is a lot of them don't have um, strong political lobbying voice. So if something does go wrong, they're not in a really strong position to um, get uh, water authorities or state governments to actually act.
0: So what's the research that you've been undertaking about this issue?
2: I've set up a mapping website, uh, wateraustralianmap.net. What I've been going through is a lot of the water data provided by water authorities across the country. So um, I was interested just to know what are the issues that are facing small communities and cities across the country processes are in place by the water authorities and which areas around Australia uh, are particularly more vulnerable than others to, um, to problems with their drinking water. Uh, it's a map of Australia with a heap of pins on it. Don't be put off by the amount of pins. What you do then is you type in a location and you can zoom in and basically the information on the website is um, a collation of uh, data that has breached the Australian drinking water guidelines. So the Australian Drinking Water Guidelines are set up by the National Health and Medical Research Council, and they're quite detailed, and they go into a lot of guideline levels for a whole uh, raft of substances and stuff in the water. So um, anything breaching those levels, I've tried to sort of capture and um, put on the site. And so you can you can click on your town, or you can uh, look at various substances. You I mean, you can click on arsenic, and you can click on fluoride or aluminium or lead, and you can see communities which have breached uh, the Australian drinking water guideline levels.
0: So you mentioned a few there, but what would you say some of the main contaminants are that we're seeing?
2: The whole water uh, industry is set up essentially to uh, provide safe drinking water. So the number one problem uh, with drinking water you know, historically is waterborne disease. A lot of authorities are very rigorous in looking at E. coli, for instance. And if there's any E. coli detections in the water, that's a, a clear sort of indication that your water supply could be contaminated with, with fecal matter. And that fecal matter can contain a whole range of, um, of diseases. Um, and in the past, you know, there, was, there were millions of people killed, you know, typhoid, uh, cholera. Legionnaires, etc., etc. et cetera. So E. coli has come up um, quite regularly across Australia. Um, the water authorities, once they find it, are pretty fast at dealing with it. And the main way they deal with it is through a disinfection of the water supply through the use of chlorine, which has been used uh, across Australia well across the world since the early 1900s. So um, the number one issue that the water authorities are worried about is E. coli. And so once you get beyond E. coli and and um, and this issue of waterborne diseases, then you get a whole range of chemical substances or minerals or even radioactive um, substances which could be in drinking water depending on, on which part of the country you live and which catchment uh, you rely on for, for drinking water. So the second biggest breach to the Australian drinking water guidelines is a it's it's chlorine disinfection byproducts, so it's a class of chemicals they call trihalomethanes, and that's these are substances that are created. So when they disinfect the water with chlorine, depending on what's in the source water, there's a there's um, a reaction with the chlorine and the organic molecules in the water, and you can create these byproducts. Um, some of them are linked with cancers, including bladder cancer and. Um, stomach cancer, and um, the Australian guideline levels are quite high. So part of the reason that these disinfection byproducts are on the map is because um, everyone thought chlorine was the the wonder substance for disinfection, but it wasn't until the 70s that they found that there was actually these carcinogenic compounds that can form through the disinfection of, of drinking water. So... Um, the trihalomethanes are recorded um, in a lot of communities. Uh, you know, uh, the southern stretches of uh, South Australia are, are quite high. Adelaide is quite high. There's been a fair bit of work in Victoria. Um, there was a lot of communities in Victoria up to you know, about 10 years ago which had problems with trihalomethanes. So, yeah, it's just the one probably people haven't heard of it. I mean, people might have heard of chlor- of um, fluoride and been worried about that. But, you know, the big one on, on um, our radar has been the trihalomethanes. After that, the other big substance has been sodium. So um, a lot of rural communities, particularly in, um, out in the more arid zones, are relying on bore water. And a lot of communities, particularly in the outer reaches of, say, New South Wales, Queensland, Northern Territory, South Australia, have um, recorded uh, high levels of sodium. So sodium can be a problem in your drinking water um, if you've got uh, blood pressure issues. And the NHMRC have got a guideline for sodium, but a lot of these smaller communities out in the um, more arid areas of Australia uh, are regularly breaching the sodium levels. Probably the next substance, which um, mainly would be of concern to urban people, would be lead. Um, lead is uh, frequently detected above guideline levels, and part of the problem with lead is that it can come in through old contamination through old pipe infrastructure. Uh, rarely is it found in, in the actual water supply itself, but it 's mainly caused by um, by plumbing infrastructure so you 've got all all these pipes and everything that feed into people 's houses. I was quite surprised to see uh, you know potentially hundreds of places around Australia that record lead levels in their drinking water above what would be regarded as safe it 's a neurotoxin and it also builds up in the body so when you 've got a water authority what what they 'll do is they 'll usually have a set number of houses that they 'll have that they 'll go to on a monthly or three monthly basis depending where you live they 'll turn the taps on for about about two minutes they 'll sort of disinfect the tap and then they 'll take the sample after the taps have been running f- for two or three minutes but if you 're in a community um, or a, or an area where the, your taps aren 't tested then you 're not too sure what will be actually coming through your pipe so there was an issue last year in Melbourne in South Yarra where a woman was worried about the quality of her drinking water and uh, she ran her own tests and, and the lead was through the roof. So uh, yeah, lead's a real, real worry.
0: And when we're seeing you know, these levels that are higher that you're tracking on the map, are we seeing a government response to when those things happen?
2: Um, generally, yes, with E. coli. The issue with contamination of bacteria, that can be like an acute problem that can impact the community almost immediately. So the ecoli and the bacterial stuff is what they're really worried about, but these more chronic issues where you've got um, you know, levels of THMs, what I spoke about, or lead, uh, or even aluminium above guideline levels, then um, it's really hit and miss. That, you know, uh, they've got guidelines that the water authorities try to act to, so if they do get a breach, they'll look at their processes and try to sort it out, um, but... Um, some of these communities have had high level safe THMs uh, for, you know, for decades.
0: Seems like a, there's a big can of worms in terms of it just being a big issue all across the board. So what are the measures that are in place right now, particularly in regional areas that are to ensure safe drinking water?
2: Well, it depends where you live. So, in um, New South Wales and Queensland, it's the local councils have responsibility for for drinking water. In Victoria, it's the water authorities. In South Australia, WA, and uh, Tasmania, they've sort of centralised the um, the water authorities. You know, to try and get over this problem, these these small, uh, under-resourced local councils providing um, you know adequate s- safety to drinking water. So a lot of the drinking water stuff will be sort of governed by the Department of Health. So if the water authorities get a, um, a, a reading above uh, X amount for X substance, then they'll have to report it through the Department of Health. And uh, then there'll be pressure on the water authority to actually uh, clean the act up and, and try to sort out that problem. But, um, you know, like trihalomethanes and other disinfection byproducts, I mean, these problems can go on for, for 10 to 20 years. And in the U.S., only 10 years ago, they got totally um, paranoid about disinfection byproducts and they spent multi-billion dollars fixing up uh, water treatment plants so that these levels could be reduced to a more safe guideline. We've got probably a quarter of Australia drinking levels way beyond what would be acceptable in the US. should also say, look, every, every time you turn on the tap, you're exposed. But every, when you have a shower, when you have a bath, um, you know the off-gasses can contain these chemicals as well. I don't want to get people paranoid, but if you're in a small community with disinfection byproduct problems, you'll be breathing that in when you shower. And, um, and um, you know, for vulnerable people in the community, it could very likely impact on, on health issues. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, so it seems like new, new threats are emerging all the time. You know, you mentioned the drought, and there's also issues with bushfire ash and industrial chemicals like PFAS. So, could you make any predictions about what the future of drinking water in Australia might look like?
2: Uh, well, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, um, I think if you go to some of those more arid areas, I think they're going to suffer from uh, long-term drought. Um, already there's infrastructure in place, say in Victoria, where they've set up uh, desal plants but you know, to, to deal with, um, with problems that they saw 15 years ago of, of water scarcity. The problem with desal plants is they're highly energy-intensive um, they use a hell of a lot of energy, and uh, you know, and to move water vast distances from the coast into inland is it costs a lot of energy. So, potentially, you're going to be looking at uh, small, sort of, more localized um, water treatment plants. That um, yeah, and also you're going to be looking at infrastructure where pipelines are going to be networked across the country uh, in a lot more places uh, to provide people security when you know when the droughts do happen. And then we did put a little bit out early in the year about uranium in drinking water. So in terms of what I mentioned before, sodium and, and groundwater, well, there's r- communities, they're mainly in the Northern Territory, mainly uh, just north of Alice Springs. Uh, they're relying on bore water. So some of the bores have rocks that are radioactive. It's in the actual uh, geology. And, and in, you know, in those communities, uh, traditionally, they wouldn't have been drinking sort of water from deep down in the earth. It would, it would have been surface water. So, uh, yes, there's been about a a dozen communities in the Northern Territory that have been um, exposed to uranium in drinking waters. That's one that that we've been concerned about. There's other uh, communities around there that are drinking levels of arsenic uh, for for a similar reason. It's in the bore water. Uh, The the pesticide issue comes up infrequently, but there's pesticides, but they're below the drinking water, what they regard as safe. But those drinking water guidelines can change from from year to year. So what's safe now mightn't be safe in another 15 years, for instance.
0: That was Anthony Amos from Friends of the Earth talking broadly about drinking water contamination across the continent. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today, we're looking at drinking water contamination and its impacts on both urban and regional communities across Australia. Alison Blaney is a doctor in the Tasmanian town of St Helens. Her community has experienced the impacts of pesticide contamination in their drinking water supply for over 20 years. She's been tracking the impacts on her community and the local biodiversity and holding the authorities to account.
1: So, my name's Alison Blaney. I'm a GP of um, 40 years or thereabouts. I've always worked in rural and remote areas and uh, islands, actually here, there and everywhere, and I've been in Australia since uh, 1985. And obviously, in rural work, you not only look at individuals, help people, individuals with health problems, but you look at communities' health. And uh, directly related to communities' health is... um, the, the uh, health of the area, the environmental health, uh, and all the critters that uh, live in the environment. And that's basically how I got interested in uh, water quality and the water we were drinking that um, came directly out of the catchments that uh, served the area of St. Helens and Tasmania, which is um, where I've lived for the last uh, since 1989. The town of St. Helens and the areas that get potable water from St. Helens, the outlying areas that are on tanks, and often they get um, the rainwater tanks filled up by the water from St. Helens. They all get their drinking water from the catchment of the George River, which flows down from the hills at the top of the blue tier, up in that catchment up there, fed by several rivers, and um, eventually make their way down to the George um estuary and out into the sea in Georgia Bay. When did
0: you first start noticing that there might be some issues with the drinking water in your local area?
1: Well, it's really interesting because it all started way back in around about 2000. St. Helens itself is renowned for fishing and tourism, um, reasonably laid back lifestyle. The George River catchment itself uh, is agriculture and forestry, forestry plantations. Some native forest there, but not a lot. And um, dairy farming as well with the local production of cheese and milk. Somewhere around about 2000, it just actually felt the community didn't quite feel right. And um, we did a survey. In fact, the government did a survey at that time that was independent of me and um, discovered that we had a very high percentage of people that were anxious and depressed ac- across all ages which struck me as being really quite odd, especially it didn't fit with the uh, folks that I'd looked after in other rural areas that I'd worked um, over my years as a, a GP. Anyway, I sort of packed that at the back of my mind and kept working through. And then it, I realised that we were getting a lot of people had autoimmune diseases and our cancer rates were going up really quite um, significantly which I thought also was really quite um, unusual. I didn't got quite what to make of that. And then we had a huge flood, a huge flood, one in a hundred years flood, and down the river came dead animals, so um, dead fish, dead eels, lots of dead flies, Um, and 90% of the intertidal oysters at that time died. Now, the water that goes down into the, into the Georgia Bay, where the oysters died and where all these dead animals, dead fish mostly and insects came down, um, was a water supply for St Helens. And we had quite a lot of um, things like vomiting and diarrhea. We had some unusual uh, neurological cases at that time. So this was a way back 2005, thereabouts. I actually wondered if it's, tied in with the increasing cancer rates that we were seeing and increased autoimmune you know, diseases that we were seeing in the area and um, wondered, in fact, if it had anything to do with the water quality. And that's how I started getting interested because you know, the thing about fish is that uh, fish can swim away from pollutants. Oysters can, but uh, fish can. And uh, the fact that they were... This issue with the river, as it were, even although there was a flood, uh, that's what started us off looking at uh, water quality
0: and so since that time, what are some of the main contaminants that you've found present in your area?
1: Well, there's been a raft of um, pesticides that are used in uh, agriculture and uh, forestry, which don't come down um, rivers. And so not only in my area, but in fact, we widened it across really to have a look at what was happening in the whole of Tasmania, really. And uh, around about that time, we discovered, of course, none of the councils had been looking at pesticides in drinking water. Uh, At that time, the councils were individually responsible for the potable water in their own municipality. And most of them were not looking for um, pesticides And round about that time, the um, Department of Primary Industry and Water and the Environment decided to start water sampling in freshwater catchments for drinking water supplies and also some other uh, rivers that weren't drinking water supplies. It was better than nothing, but unfortunately, it was very uh, ad hoc sampling. It was unrelated to rain events. It was... um, you know, small just grab water samples. Uh, there wasn't any long-term monitoring, um, and that uh, whole program discovered multitudinous um, pesticides, mostly the, tri- um, the mostly the triazines, you know, like simazine, atrazine, um, and uh, MCPA, um, and quite a, a whole range of pesticides. Which, of course, in drinking water is not such a good idea, especially when it's mixed up with things like nitrates from fertilizers. You've got your vegetation um, uh, degradation products, you've got your byproducts of disinfection as well, all of which is by themselves uh, can cause serious problems. Even with low levels, um, you know, pesticides have been, many pesticides have been shown to cause endocrine disruption and can cause. Um, adverse effects at really very low levels.
0: So you've obviously been doing all this work in tracking. How have the local government and councils reacted to this research and tracking that you've done exposing these issues?
1: Uh, Well, they didn't like it. They didn't like being asked questions and they didn't like being asked to, um, I suppose, defend their position or or even discuss ways that they could um, improve quality of the water and in fact the monitoring program for pesticides was closed in 2014 so there is very little in the way of pesticide monitoring being done now it's not it's being done by Taz water Taz water um, actually took over from uh, all the councils so they are now the the regulation body responsible for water for drinking water in Tasmania they are um, partly owned by the government itself, Um, they are completely responsible for the water. So they do their own pesticide testing, which is uh, minimalistic, Um, grab samples, not related to rainfall events, and actually trying to get the exact details uh, has become increasingly, increasingly problematic over the last couple of years
0: you know, this is a long-term issue for your community that you've started noticing in the 2000s. Have you seen any changes to policy or, you know, pesticide usage that might create a little bit more safety in the drinking water since that time?
1: Well, I think uh, TAS Water have had to become a lot more accountable than the individual councils did with regard to water. I think that's a positive thing. Um, The fact is that uh, these issues have been discussed and discussed and looked at makes them more accountable and also uh, ensures that government knows that we are watching and that we are really abreast of a lot of the issues. And um, those uh, issues themselves are really important. I think it's important for the community to to understand uh, what's happening with regard to their own drinking water. The issue of uh, heavy metal contaminants, for instance, like lead or um, arsenic or cadmium, all those issues, we've also raised those issues. And we've still got quite a few communities that have elevated lead or ed- elevated um, cadmium in their drinking water supplies. And a lot of that is the legacy of old mining. But it's still a really broad um, issue. I mean, then we get into the issue of things like um, disinfection byproducts, water, and I think across a lot of Australia, they're, they're only looking at a very small number of those uh, contaminants, which can cause cancer themselves. And then, of course, we get to things like PFAS, you know, the contaminants, the, what they call them, the forever chemicals, they don't go away, which are in uh, drinking water supplies around the country, usually from contaminants for fire, fighting foams and those sorts of issues but around many areas. Mm. And the issues related to that um how the government's going to clean that up, how, that, how the government's going to ensure that um, the bodies responsible for drinking water, ensure that there are no um, areas that uh, communities are drinking that, whether it's portable water or, in fact, whether it's from their bores and groundwater contamination, that it's not their fault.
0: Absolutely. And there's just so many different contaminants coming into the water supply. What do you think is a way forward for TAS Water and more broadly people who are monitoring these water levels to get better outcomes for communities?
1: Well, um, one of the things I think they perhaps should do is actually uh, look at what's happening now and actually work out if that's the best way to provide uh, drinking water for communities. You know, just because a pipe breaks or a Sold in, you replace it. Is that actually the best use of money to do that? Should we actually look at a different way of providing drinking water? Are there different sources that would provide better quality drinking water? Um, you know, it's, I think it's time to re look at exactly uh, how drinking water is provided in Australia. I mean, the bushfires with the, the contaminants from the ash into uh, dams drinking water dams, drinking water catchments, is as a, as a case in point. You know, it's a major issue and it needs to be looked at. A lot of uh, contaminants come down in stormwater. So there are many, many issues. It's a very complex problem, but it, need, it needs to be addressed. And it needs to be addressed in a, an open and trans- transparent manner.
0: That was Dr Alison Blaney a doctor in St. Helens, Tasmania, where pesticide contamination has impacted both the health of communities and the environment. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program. I'm M. Gafer. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Or if you're listening via iTunes or any other podcasting service, why not rate us and leave us a review and help spread the word. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in contact, you can send us an email at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next time for more Earth Matters
1: to continue going to the